Awesome. Cool. So we're doing this again. Oh, yeah. Ooh. At the risk of causing intense Catastrophic. Uh, <laughs> are we doing the talking over the previous episodes thing yet again? That's oh, exactly Jesus. Figure the third, this will be our third time doing it. We'll reach critical mass and we'll probably want to stop after Oh, absolutely. That. at the end of the song each time oh yeah. so gonna come in right now actually now. here it goes take that right. past us exactly <laughs> yep what were we thinking so it's us so it's, us it's so many layers now reacting to the dolby it's intro it's impossible shit it's gonna be pretty impossible to listen to <laughs> yep so that do you like now. this so quickly it really did <laughs> <laughs> well, that was cool. Um, <laughs> welcome to Super Duperstitious. The show that all happens at once and uh, kind of immediately shuts down new listeners. So see you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in. <laughs> uh, we're the Paranormal Podcast. With a uh, science tack on the strange in the world. And the whack, I should have said. Better luck next time, Wyatt. Yeah, damn it. <laughs> You're Wyatt. And he's Jake. And we're here to talk to you again this week about some stuff. Uh, we This may be the last time we tried the thing we just did, which is where we just layer over each episode uh, compounding on the previous. We did it by accident once, and then we just kept adding to it to see what happened. And uh, that's what happened, what you just heard. It's pretty fun, though. I, um, unless fans... Wait, no. <laughs> we don't have fans. Unless people's... Yeah. <laughs> Unless someone accidentally emails us saying to not <laughs> yeah. do it, just continuing to go. We have an email. Go. It's contact at superduperstitious.com. We say it almost every time. Yeah. No one uses it. Exactly. We know you're listening. We see those we view- see you. The listen counts. People just turn their podcast thing on and then walk away. Yes. <laughs> Got to give them their listen. There's always the possibility that we are delivering all these episodes directly into the void. Yeah, it's true. But hey. There's a bit of uh, poetry in that, though. And eventually, uh, wait, what is it? You stare too long into the void. The void, the void stares back. The void podcasts back at you. <laughs> we just start listening to absolute silence for around about an hour, <laughs> laughing intermittently at literally nothing. <laughs> Did you hear that part where it was like, and then... Oh, that was my favorite part. <laughs> I thought so, too, man. So this week, the prompt was, what, forest-based spooky stories? Yeah, a nice loose prompt. Um, <laughs> I have one that occurs in and around a forest. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, that fits the prompt. That's yeah. all that matters. <laughs> Mine is something that it's uh, that dwells within a forest. I think that kind of works. Ooh, I'm it's, into um, it. It was a fucking long story. I cut it down from saying. like 12 pages to 8 Holy um, shit balls. Right. I'm going to just probably blow through it at Jake neck speed and hopefully oh, it'll Jesus. be at just the right length for my segment. <laughs> it um, will all be one continuous word. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it will be every bit as unintelligible as most of what I say and you'll love it. Well, don't go too, too fast. Go just fast enough. Okay. This one is written by Jan Thompson, possibly Jan. I'm assuming it's, I don't know. It sounds probably like a Jan Kentucky, Thompson. So, I mean, it's from, he's from Kentucky, so I don't Uh-oh. know if it's actually would be, Could be a Jan. I don't know how many Polish people there are in, in Kentucky. It's a JT production either way. Yes. It's, yeah, I abridged the hell out of it for length, um, but I'll be looking at the full version. Website upon which it originally appeared has since been taken down, Ooh. but the text survived elsewhere, including, you guessed it, Phantoms and Monsters. Oh, <laughs> friggin' Phantoms and Monsters. So here's an entire shaker of salt to uh, take this story with. Oh my goodness. All right. Um, All right. But, uh, yeah, let's check out the following. The Beast Between the Lakes. Hmm. There's a national recreation area in western Kentucky that also runs down to Tennessee called the Land Between the Lakes, or LBL for short. (laughs) It is situated between the Kentucky and Barclay Lakes, consisting of more than 300 miles of shoreline, 170,000 acres of forest, and over 200 miles of walking trails. Back before the 1950s, it always had uh, been a very rural area to live in, with farmsteads far and few... Far and few between. That's not how that goes. Few and, few far, and between. far between. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and with no real town to speak of except a <laughs> few between. <laughs> anyway. Um, Idiot. <laughs> <laughs> fuck you, Jan. Or Jan. And no real town to speak of except up at the north end in Grand Rivers. It was in this town back in the mid-70s that I first heard of the Beast Between the Rivers, or mm. known, also known as the Beast of LBL. 
Um, it makes me think of the Canadian Liquor Depot, which is like the LBW or something like this. What does the W stand for? I'm looking at the name. Canada. <laughs> Canada. The LCBO. That was my L- bad. LCBO. Okay. LCBO Sound System. One of my favorite bands. All right. <laughs> Uh, there was talk of hauntings, Indian curses, mysterious lights over gravestones at night, old hag witches that lived deep in the woods, and more importantly, several tales of a creature that stood on two legs that would come out of the thickets and attack cattle and livestock day or night. A creature that was nearly seven feet tall with what? thick long hair covering its body hey now. and a stench that matched that of some of the freshly opened graves that were discovered now and then. You've got Wyatt's attention, I'll tell you that much so and far. For that very reason, I want to interject here to say that this is not a Sasquatch story. Then I'm going to go home. Bye. No, I come back. No. I didn't want to do a Sasquatch story because that is your turf, my friend. I, I want to stay in my own lane. Okay, fine. I'll come back. <laughs> Uh, I'm cutting out huge swaths of intro here, including some very detailed physical descriptions of the beast they describe, but only for the sake of prolonging the spooky mystery. Oh, yeah. Titillate me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, mean, all of us. All of us. (laughs) The legend of the beast went back at least 100 years and was passed along through time from family to family and updated as new sightings occurred. The sightings of the monster were still frequent throughout the beginning of the 20th century, and the old man who used to sit on the bench outside the general store told some unsettling encounters they or members of their families had had with it. Each one told stories of finding livestock slaughtered, ripped to pieces, and eaten upon, <laughs> cows and pigs with their legs dismembered from the sockets, even a few horses had met their end with savage attacks upon their bodies. <laughs> uh, a few of them described what they saw at different times when they caught glimpses of the figure by peeking out of the curtains or the windows into the night. One man said it jumped out of one of the horse stalls one evening while he was putting up some animals. Uh, It stopped in front of him, arms spread out like it was getting ready to grab him, let out a howl, and then sprang past him into the dusky shadows of the sunset. Another man said that he had never seen it, but would always hear its baleful wails frequently at night. Not like a, a wolf or coyote. No, he said. It was deeper, longer, stronger sounding than what would come out of any animal I ever heard. Still sounds like Sasquatch to me, though, to be honest. Mm, Well, you'll see. Thompson keeps going on a bit here before finally taking us to the start of his story in the early 80s. I used to work midnights at a gas station a few miles from the Kentucky Dam, which was a few miles from the beginning of LBL in Grand Rivers. It was on one of these midnight shifts I had two visitors that would change my outlook on the subject of monsters and (laughs) solidify my belief in something I thought I had seen two years prior. This story never made it to mainstream media. Oh boy. It was a few weeks before the take. Yeah. It was a few weeks before the beginning of tourist season, and tourists were what the locals survived on. A story like this couldn't get out. Tourists would stop coming out of fear. I also breezed (laughs) breezed by um, his mention of an encounter of his own, but more on that in a bit. Ooh, I'm interested. Uh, The two individuals at the gas station were coming from a crime scene. Two officers of the law. Two grown men who both appeared shaken beyond description. A mixture of fear and confusion, shock and disbelief emanated from them both. One was paler than the other, a deathly pallor over his skin. And it was this one, I'll name him Officer Adam to protect their identities, that had to sit on the curb of the gas pumps, head between his legs, and expel the last bit of his stomach contents. <laughs> the other officer, I'll name him Officer Bill, came in uh, for some coffee for himself and a cup of water for his partner. Uh, then he rejoined Adam outside. There were no other customers, so I went outside with him to see if I could offer some assistance to the ill man. He gladly took the few rollades I had extended in my hand. For quite Rollades? a long while... Yeah, it's like, um, it's basically like Tums. Oh. Yeah. For quite a long while, the only thing that was heard were the crickets in the nearby fields, the sound of bugs hitting the fluorescent lights above us hanging from the gas station canopy, and the distant sound of highway traffic that was far and few between. Again with that shit. As it was in the wee hours of the morning. Man, that must be how that saying goes, I guess. (laughs) I guess we, yeah. Far and few between. There you go. Um, also, if this thing is to be believed for how things are said, then the um, comparative word "than" is spelled with an e, oh, and no. the uh, and the possessive "its" has an apostrophe. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, Adam spoke first, breaking the silence. Grammar. <laughs> uh, I can't believe it. It's not possible. I just can't believe it. In hushed agreement, um, that was almost inaudible. Bill replied, "I know it was, is, so unbelievable. I've never seen anything like this before." Much like this dialogue. (laughs) Yes. A long pause, a deep breath, and he continued, or even heard of anything like this before. (laughs) I looked at Bill and then at Adam. They were both gazing, open-eyed, unblinking, out into the inky color of the night. Oh, my God. It's so much worse than what I actually included in here. The certain hue of 
a certain kind of flower. It seems like it would be somewhere between blue and perhaps red. Yes, as though if you were to draw those two colors together into a Venn diagram type structure, the overlapping region in which both had their chance to express their chromatic, uh, you know, personality simultaneously. That color would probably describe this prose, maybe. Indeed. Hmm. Um, if I'm only con- there was a name for that color. <laughs> Vi- I can't think of a word for prose that would begin with a V. Violet, I don't know. Violet verbosity. Violet verbosity, there mm-hmm. we go. <laughs> I looked at Bill and then at Adam. They're both gazing open-eyed, unblinking, out into the inky color of the night. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> I got that part. line twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, forgot. We already read that. Uh, You're good. Adam's bottom lip was trembling slightly, and it wasn't from the slight chill in this light, the light spring air. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, something or something. What? <laughs> was had filled them each with the. <laughs> I think he meant to say someone or something, but Some, it was something, something or some... Something or something was out there. That's awesome. Had filled them each with a congested fear. Ugh. God, It's that's when you're really disgusting. scared in your sinuses. Yeah. After a few more moments of silent reserve, my patience was rewarded with some slow, fragmented descriptions of their past eight hours. With a weary, shaken voice, Bill began to unfold a tale that would forever be embedded within my spirit. <laughs> They are both frequent customers, and we knew each other on a first-name basis, but to divulge so much to me of all people, they must have just needed to get it off their chests. Their big, strong chests. Yes. <laughs> they got in a call with, um, to help with an investigation at one of the many rural campgrounds down in LBL. The tour season was about to start in a few weeks, so as usual, there were some early arrivals that had come to claim prime camping spots before the areas were overrun with tents, campers, and travel trailers. The sun was setting low in the sky when they arrived at the scene, a motorhome. Several other official vehicles were already there, and there were many more to come, as they would soon find out, many coming from other counties and a few coming all the way from another state. Several of these to come were coroners from different counties. One coroner vehicle was already present, as was an ambulance. Which coroners? Prove, yeah, a bunch of coroners there. What the fuck? I don't know if this guy understands how crime scenes work. <laughs> there are a bunch of undertakers there for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> yes, oh. We will bury them at our graveyard. It's there with coffins. <laughs> as well as an ambulance, which would prove useless, as there was no one to save. <laughs> the victims were all dead. Quite dead. Oh. Completely, totally, and thoroughly deceased. That's what Bereft of life, they rest in <laughs> peace. The metabolic processes are now history. They're <laughs> off the twig. They've kicked the bucket. They've shuffled off that multiple <laughs> coil. Run down the curtain and joined the bleeding choir invisible. These are ex- Tourists! <laughs> a good one. The front and back doors of the motorhome were open, one of the doors hanging by one hinge in a crooked slant. Bloody handprints slid down the thin metal walls close to the front door. Oh my God. And more bloody handprints could be seen along the length towards the back door. There was already crime scene tape placed in numerous scattered parts of the area, and little white flags and metal stakes stuck in the ground marking evidence. I feel like this person is watching TV and, and writing what they notes. are seeing. <laughs> Evidence of ripped clothing, bodies, and body parts, separated limbs, a pile of bowels, pieces of loof, loose flesh clinging to muscle tissue. Pieces of loofahs, also. Pieces of loofahs, all just everywhere. The <laughs> different toiletries <laughs> scattered across the... It was the, gruesome. Uh, what used to be three bodies that just hours before had been a happy family on a happy vacation. Had become one body. <laughs> Voltron in a really just kind of... <laughs> oh, that would be horrifying, yes. actually. <laughs> If Cronenberg yeah. was in charge, yeah. Um, a murderous rage had taken place, one so abhorrently appalling that there were few witnesses to the scene that had kept their composure or held their recently eaten dinners down. <laughs> so obsessed with fucking throwing up, this guy. Yes. Or girl. Or girl. It could be Jan, as opposed to Jan. I think it's... I don't know. I'm not actually not sure. At first sight, the victims appeared to be butchered by some unnameable weapon, possibly an axe or a chainsaw. <laughs> My favorite kind of sentence as well, structure-wise. Yeah. It's basically unnameable, Here's but it names. was an axe for <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, Upon further inspection by the uh, first arriving coroner, the wounds in the bodies were determined not to have been caused by a sharp instrument, but rather by some piercing, well-defined claws and other wounds by some keen, mordantly long incisors. Mordantly? Yes. What the? What's um, mordantly mean? Dear Google, mordant, it's, yeah. Mordant. With an A. Mordant. Mordant. 
more dentition. It's a more dent, man. Especially of humor, having or showing a sharp or critical quality biting, which is hilarious to describe <laughs> teeth in that way. There's a few, uh, again, it's biting in the sense I... of being like acerbic or like sardonic. <laughs> yes. I cut out a lot of stuff in this, but I was abridging it and... Oh, I'm enjoying the shit out of it. Continue. Oh, yeah, were... a lot of different instances of words being misused. That was one that I did not happen to catch. <laughs> That's um, totally fine. <laughs> wildcat? Bear? Wolves? The coroner shook his head in a baffled disagreement with each guest from the officers. <laughs> the claw marks, for instance, on the back of the father's corpse were distinctively made by four long claws with a smaller digit, like a thumb, on the side. Its span was wider than a man's handprint, wider and different than a bear's mark, with deep, deliberate gouges in the flesh. Rake marks from an angry, unknown source trying to grab its prey that was no doubt trying to escape. The wildcat and wolf theory was dismissed as the open marks were apparently made by a larger animal source. The bite marks were much larger than any mountain lion, wolf, or coyote. Whatever did it had a longer snout and more sizable teeth. There are also indications in the larger areas of the cadavers of bite marks where the flesh, meat, and bone had been yanked away from the body. I'm wondering now if this person, um, just like they're saying coroners, but maybe they meant like, you know, CSI type, like people yeah, who come and actually do that kind of stuff on forensic, like investigative kind yeah, of force. Maybe just a misnomer. The coroners. Yeah. <laughs> they um, do it all. You don't hear enough about the field coroners <laughs> go on site to deal with stuff. Maybe the thought CSI stood for coroners specialist investigation or some <laughs> yes. shit. I don't know. Coroners seeing intestines. <laughs> Coroners scrutinize information. Incisors. 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 Morden. Oh my goodness. Um, Like a human who bites into an apple and leaves the impression of his bite and teeth marks, so were the open wounds on these individuals. That's so they had perfect, like, perfect. chomp marks, yeah. I guess. I think so. I'm not sure what he's trying to go for. <laughs> no, I'm loving it, though. Yeah. I love the... Uh, um, the attempts at telling a story. Yeah, it's good. Um, it's good. Bears aren't native to the areas, but who knows? Maybe a grizzly did sneak in some way, but that was far-fetched. I mean, Kentucky, not really... Not really grizzly, grizzly bear turf, yeah. plus so. grizzly bears don't really sneak. <laughs> From the back door of the motorhome, an officer stepped down slowly, holding in his hands some type of garment, a dress, a small dress... <laughs> that would have fit a small girl of around five years old. He informed the onlookers that there were more little girls' clothing packed inside the coach. He seemed weirdly excited about it. <laughs> uh, no, this meant that there was a missing person or an absent body, a member of the family. They all prayed she was still alive somehow, hiding somewhere. A new search began. As time went by, additional law enforcement arrived, as well as a few volunteer rescue squad members. This guy's losing the thread of his own story. <laughs> <laughs> Groups were spread out in assigned areas to examine and explore. Another coroner arrived to assist in the identification <laughs> and causes of death. And much later, a third one showed up, this one from a nearby state. <laughs> we need more coroners on the scene. An army of coroners arrived. Yes, meows, 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 meows. I like how you're assuming that coroners sound like old-timey Trumpers. undertakers. Yeah, yeah, the undertaker exactly is what I'm going for. Um, or oh, the God. undertaker. <laughs> I can't even do. I can't remember what his whole bit is to do um, an impression of him. Uh, all types of samples are placed in plastic bags, marked as evidence, and carefully stowed away. As they are packaging up what appeared to be one of the father's arms, one of the doctors noticed something wrapped between the dead fingers. Some <laughs> tweezers slowly in, uh, untangled a clump of long gray and brown hairs. Oh, this no. too was placed in a bag, marked and put away to be analyzed at the lab later. <laughs> from somewhere in the nearby woods, about fifty yards from the campfire, a scream was heard. A man's shriek that turned into a long wail and then to a whimpering. What? As others arrived, they could see by the gleam of several flashlights that the cop was holding his hat in one hand and his light in the other. There was blood on his face, the front of his shirt, and then the brim of his hat. More blood could be seen uh, dripping on him. <laughs> it was coming from above. High in the trees, the flashlight swung, searching for the source of the mysterious bleeding. Oh no, the girl's <laughs> gonna be in the tree! A very small hand could be seen dangling down from a tree limb way up high, as well as a slender, lifeless leg that still had a white sock on the foot. The missing oh, child man. had been located. <laughs> Story uh, resolved. <laughs> the end. Uh, that, that's, it. that's all you got for today. Uh, the officer <laughs> The officer was Adam. The little girl had apparently been carried up the tree and leisurely eaten upon while carefully laid across a large tree branch. More of the same long gray and brown hair was found sticking in the bark of the tree near her body. After about seven hours, most of the officers were sent away as a new team of investigators arrived. They were told not to talk to anyone of the incident, especially not the media. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that besides Adam and Bill, there were others who had to confess what they saw that night, if in fact the whole event had ever really happened. About a month after sitting outside with Adam and Bill that night, 
They stopped in again during one of my midnight shifts. They're both rather quiet, more serious in nature, <laughs> not like before the incident where they would kid around while drinking their sodas and eating a snack or two. <laughs> like they, all cops do. Yes. They both aged in some odd way. Streaks of gray that had not been there oh before highlighted both of their heads. Their faces had lines of worry. <laughs> I could Oy. see them again many times afterwards, but on this particular evening, they informed me that they got worried about some of the lab tests that were taken that dreadful night. The tests in the saliva taken uh, from the bite marks not quite human. and from the hair found on the fan, uh, man's fingers and in the tree bark came back with an unknown species origin. Mm-hmm. The closest animal that they could be compared to was that of a wolf. <laughs> Whether Adam and Bill had played an elaborate hoax on me, I'll never really know for sure, but their sincerity and fear painted a picture of truth in their eyes and actions. There are several more stories that I've heard about this wolf monster over in LBL that have been told to me over the years after this particular incident. There were several groups of Boy Scouts that had seen it, several more campers, fishermen, and boaters that had seen it from the safety of their boats, floating in some of the many bays that had touched upon the shoreline. Hikers and bikers had heard its howling and have seen something stalking them while they were on rural trails. As opposed to what, city trails? Yeah, know. for real, exactly. Hiding amongst the trees and foliage. Hunters have run across deer carcasses that have been brutally torn apart. And then a bunch of meandering attempts at artful writing. And now we smash cut to Thompson's own account. Oh. Chapter 2. From the Woods. The summer of 78 will always be a turning point in my belief of real monsters versus the demonic or paranormal type. (laughs) This was the summer I started doing cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ghosts and spirits have become a common event during my life growing up. Until that particular summer when a new avenue of fear introduced itself and made a permanent <laughs> pathway inside my mind. Oh, Jesus. For this moment, though, for the benefit of you, dear reader, I will travel <laughs> down that road once more and try to recapture the scene so that you too will lay awake wondering and asking the universe, is there something else out there somewhere that is above us humans that, on the um, food chain? Is that Brad Neely? Had I left this whole thing unabridged, I would have had no actual choice but to read the entire thing in Brad Neely's <laughs> narrator voice. Uh, it was on one of those hot July summer evenings in Grand Rivers, Kentucky, back in 1978 when this took place. I was staying at my aunt's house uh, with my cousins for a few weeks during summer vacation, a very welcome home at the end of a dead-end road. Mm-hmm. Uh, hundreds of acres of wood surrounded the house, and there were several homemade trails throughout the woods that led to several places. An old abandoned railroad track that went on for miles, the old sawmill, and other paths that led to parts of the shoreline of the Kentucky Lake. And other abandoned places, probably, too. <laughs> the abandoned Kentucky Lake. <laughs> yeah. They all started out as walking trails, but with the new addition of a dirt bike that my cousin Joe had, the trails became well outlined and defined. My 13-year-old cousin Joe was uh, riding his bike through the woods. His younger sister, Rhonda, was with me outside on the porch swing. She was 10, and I was 17 at the time. My uncle was working and my aunt was at the grocery store. Wait, so we've jumped back in time, basically. So he started his story describing that night at the gas station and hearing the story from the um, cops reminded me, reminded him of something he had experienced before mm-hmm. um, and kind of helped him validate what he had experienced. And so now he's telling that story. I thought about switching him around, but I decided to just go with the order that he wrote them right. in. Couldn't help but notice you said me first, and uh, uh, me. I'm, uh, yeah, J- Jan, not not me. Not this is not Jake. <laughs> y- Yike. Yike. Yaka. Yaka. <laughs> um, no, go on. Uh, Rana was ten, and I was seventeen at the time. My uncle was working, and my aunt was at the grocery store. Beside the driveway was a huge dog pen where the pet basset hounds were relaxed in the shade. After a while, Rana and I heard the approaching sound of Joe's dirt bike. From the high-pitched whine of the engine, it sounded like he was going at top speed without slowing down at all. I was worried that if he didn't slow down, he'd go flying up into the air when he crested the hill coming out of the woods, but he stayed steady as he zoomed out of the trees toward us. And just as I thought, he emerged from the woods. Uh, when he were emerged from the woods, he indeed did go airborne a few feet before pounding down the front tire on the driveway, continuing his descent now with the struggle of keeping the bike upright and straight. Rhonda and I jumped from the porch swing and got out of the way as we didn't know where he was going to stop. Joe threw himself off the bike and let it tumble down the hill ahead of him while he rolled to a stop right next to us. Everyone was wide-eyed and full of adrenaline, all our mouths open in shock. But Joe's mouth was open in a strange, fearful grimace. He was... <laughs> Again, audio medium. <laughs> People can hear me grimacing. <laughs> there you go. You get a pretty good impression of what that sound looks like. Yeah. Um, Just imagining that scene. It is very funny to just land a, a bike 
in such an insane way and then coming out of a role still like (laughs) (laughs) yes uh, he was sweating profusely and his breaths were coming and going in great heaves (laughs) tears were streaming down his cheeks mixed with the dusty dirt that the trail had left him powdered with his eyes were at the top of the hill at the top of the drive unblinking searching waiting but wait how did he land the bike without his eyes (laughs) we followed his gaze not understanding what this escapade was all about in silence, we watched him for about 30 seconds, and the dog started barking, growling, and then whining, trying to get out of the pen in a frantic panic, <laughs> digging and gnawing at the fencing. It grabbed my leg! Look at my leg! Joe screamed, making us jump with alarm at the sound of his voice. We looked down at his jeans and saw scratch marks going across his right thigh, scratches that tore through the de- uh, tough denim and left small bloody marks on his skin. The marks were like a bear claw rake. It's all hyphenated. Bear's claw rake. Bear's claw <laughs> rake. a bear claw. Mm. And instead of eating it, you rubbed it on your legs. <laughs> oh, um, man. It's a uh, tasty wound. <laughs> uh, not those caused by branches or sticky bushes, but a definite wide pattern of a, a paw print. It walked on two legs, his voice startled us again, as, we, uh, as he was trying to tell us his story in between huge gulps of air. It was following me through the woods, along the path from the old sawmill. Harry, it was so hairy, and its snout was so long, and it walked on two legs. It ran on two legs. His voice was sputtering. And it was hairy. <laughs> his voice was sputtering, slowing. His eyes were still wide, and I could see the pulse of his heartbeat throbbing under the skin of his temples. A howling began from the woods, not from the dog pen, where now the dogs were suddenly silent. A wolf's howl. It was close. It seemed it was just a few yards from the road up above. Mm-hmm. Joe's tears came quicker, and he started to push us toward the front door of the house, demanding that we go inside and lock the doors. He had a hand on each of our backs and was urging us onward when it came out of the woods above. He's going to get eaten. <laughs> At first, it appeared to be a very large wolf emerging from the dark outline of the trees. But as it approached the one-lane road connected to the driveway, its height grew to a towering shadow that stood on two legs. Uh, much taller than a man's height, maybe by a foot. And with the sun gone down behind the clouds, it only cast a silhouette of blackness. Hairy blackness. <laughs> my, mouth dropped, uh, my mouth dropped wide as well as my eyes. His eyes dropped out of his head, is what I think he's trying to say here. Uh, this was not happening. This was not what I was seeing. It raised its long snout up in the air and let out a gurgling, slow, deliberate howl while stretching its um, long arms to its side and upwards. God damn, that is so silly. Yeah. The uh, classic, like... <laughs> since we're here, I'm going to go to the original text of that because... Um, Please do. There's more that I cut out because it was too silly, but we're already so... We're so deep in. We ha- I'm into it. We have to go deeper. Let's go deeper. It raised its long snout up in the air and let out a gurgling, slow, deliberate howl while stretching its long arms to its sides and upwards like it was praising the coming of the night, praying to the unseen moon and stars. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Holy so, shit. Yeah. Okay. That's where we are. That is some editorializing assuming if you know again i try to listen to these as though this was an actual account and yes. it's like in that case when you add that much and i was like this didn't fucking happen this guy um at that moment the security the light that was yeah, that was at the top of the hill by the beginning of the driveways popped on slowly at first it began to glow and gathered its energy to shine more brightly over the next few seconds one of the creature's arms bent and shaded its eyes from the glare <laughs> It wasn't an it any longer, nor was it a big foot. Two separate words. <laughs> a large ped. <laughs> <laughs> this was a wolf-like creature that, like Joe said, stood on two legs, was taller than a man, and was staring at the three of us down the hill. Oh boy. With huge black eyes that will never get out of my mind. We ran into the house, tearing the screen door in the process, slamming the main door, locking it, pushing things, anything we could reach, against the inside of the door. The kitchen was right behind us, and so was the knife drawer, which we raided and took several with us as we tried to decide where to hide. There was a house dog inside, another basset hound, Stubby, and he met us in the kitchen. One- Stubby, yeah, his name That's is his Stubby. Name. And he met us in the kitchen, wondering what the racket was. Another howl from outside, coming from the driveway. Stubby's hair raised as he started uh, backing up at first. Then he went to the d- uh, front door and was smelling around the edges. What? Uh, no, I'm with you. Yeah, I just yeah. like doesn't seem consistent. But the three of us ran to my aunt's room, and I was about to slam the door and lock it when the dog tucked tail and ran after us, beating us under the bed. All of us squeezed under the four poster, knives clutched in our hands, scared half to death. <laughs> we could hear the dogs in the pen outside going absolutely crazy with barking. We could also hear things being knocked around on the porch, then on the side of the house, then at the side door. We heard glass break. We could tell it was from one of the bedrooms. 
The windows were too high and they were very narrow, so we um, knew that it would take some effort for anything to get through them, but we still shivered from fright. My aunt's horn on her catalog sounded several times as she drove down the road and approached the house. Mm-hmm. That meant for us to meet her outside and help with the groceries. Mm-hmm. We didn't budge. We couldn't move. We didn't answer her yells from outside for us to come unload the bags. <laughs> we didn't seek to help her after she started screaming about a yes. <laughs> werewolf eating her face. <laughs> we didn't crawl out and unlock the door for her, nor answer her knocking. She finally had to use her keys and then give some hefty pushes against the pile of items we had had up against the door. We stayed put. She discovered us only after all the groceries had been brought in, and she noticed that her bedroom door was closed and locked. She didn't give a fuck. She must be strong as hell, too. <laughs> yeah. The idea was like to hold this giant wolf creature away, <laughs> and she just like push it open. They just piled up like a tissue box against the <laughs> door, like, that'll hold it. We all started talking at once in a fervor. Then we finally let Joe tell his story first. Then we finished with it breaking a window just before we heard her horn on the car. She must have startled it. She didn't laugh. She didn't respond at all at first. In fact, she never said a word until she came back from inspecting the windows in the bedroom. Ma said, indeed, there was a broken window, broken from the outside in. <laughs> she made us clean up our barricade and put up all the, gro- uh, put up all the groceries. And that, uh, later that night, after we were all in bed and my uncle came home, she related that evening's events to him. The next morning, their dad warned us, stay out of the woods. No problem. Oh, my God. He went on to say that he himself had gone down in the woods earlier that morning and found several pits dug and filled with animal bones and parts of carcasses along the path that led to the old sawmill that couldn't be explained. There are also holes dug in the sides of the bluff along uh, the hills that overlooked the old mill that looked like deep caves, big enough for a man to hide in. What? Just about 10 years ago now, in the early 90s, Joe and my dad, who had come down to Saint, uh, from St. Louis to visit, decided to venture into those same woods in front of my aunt's house. They took a couple of pistols and two rifles and were gone for several hours. They came back ashen-faced and bewildered. They had walked all the way back to the old sawmill. The pits, fresh ones, were still around, filled with the bones of forest animals. The holes in the bluff were still there also. They also experienced the feeling of being watched and felt an uneasiness that some, uh, something just wasn't right. The area where the sawmill was had no life stirring around in it. Uh, no birds, no squirrels, no crickets, no bugs. Even the small pond was still and lifeless. They couldn't shake the feeling of being observed by a secret watcher, and both swore they saw a large black shadow lurking in the shade of one of the mysteriously dug caves. Uh-huh. That had been the first time Joe had been down that far on that side of the woods since the sighting, and both of them agreed that it would be the last time they'd go out there. But he meanders on for a, a bit from there, but that's basically it. The beast of the land between the lakes. Man, uh, oh man. My reason for bringing this story up is that it is yet another dog man type tale. It um, is, it's true. And I hadn't, I admittedly hadn't read the whole thing until today. I saw that it was about this kind of a thing. I thought, oh, cool, a different dog man type of thing, right, a full right. account of it from a different part of the country. So I like that it was this time not from Michigan, so not where that particular urban legend already existed. Right. Uh, stories f- like this do seem to pop up in other areas on occasion, sometimes as werewolf type stories. But mostly more of this just kind of like bipedal wolf monster type of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's an interesting kind of um, spooky story people like to tell. Um, Right. There have been some that have been more along the lines of a straight up werewolf thing. But those are a lot more fantastic even than this was. Sure. Which is saying saying something. Yeah. Yeah, Because this is just so far fetched. Yeah, it is. Uh, Even more than what I actually read aloud today. Um, Right. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess just uh, there's no... No use pondering over, like, okay, what could it have really been that they saw? <laughs> there's, there's no way this story is actually a real story. Like, it's just clearly fabricated from beginning to end. Right. I mean, if we were to say that, oh, maybe someone saw something and then embellished over the years, it could be, I mean, obviously there's a lot of embellishment happening and maybe wanted, wanting to make their story of some, like, just one weird little event into some really dramatic, cool thing that happened. Uh, right, true. Even though it's like, I, I don't know, just... I don't buy it in this case. This feels like a... Uh a story from start to finish in many ways. The only thing I could see in it that might suggest that it could have been an actual sighting that got blown out of proportion was this guy saying that he'd had numerous paranormal experiences growing up like with ghosts and stuff and that was just like uh, totally normal to him. Like, So mm-hmm. he already, this author already buys into this stuff totally. True. So would be willing to then say, oh, I saw Subscribe this Subscribe to this kind of thing. And then could yeah. then believe that it was something more dramatic than it was and blown out of proportion and then try and further uh like embellish the yeah. experience embellish the already blown out of proportion experience <laughs> in his mind right. like yeah just like it could have just gotten away from him into this ridiculous fantastical thing right but more likely it's just totally made up from scratch 
But uh, yeah, dogman type stories. It's just funny that those do seem to be popular in other places too. Like, it's what? true. It like haunts the human psyche in some yeah, way. Yeah, why? I'm wondering why it is that. I guess maybe it comes from a place of wolves being such a an ancient nemesis of ours yeah, that exactly. we still can find something Mixed scary about into them. Into that uncanny valley of yeah. almost human, but so still very predator. Point, we're in a point where you know wolves don't scare us so much anymore. But if you make it into a monster, mm-hmm. then a wolf monster is still scary. Yeah, true. Beyond being, you could just have it be just a some sort of weird monster from the woods but to make it be a humanoid wolf that is the way we tend to go with it so i think it's just an interesting kind of study on yeah human psyche when it comes to telling scary stories yeah i guess i appreciate it very much for that angle too that's cool unfortunately that's really the only angle i got there's no science to be added here that's like that's just seems to be an it's an observation about like absolutely fair what we seem to think is scary i don't know right no totally and i think it's also absolutely fair to just have sometimes some stories that are just stories for their own sake that's Slightly. totally cool some uh um, spooky spaghetti if you will in, some, indeed <laughs> some uh some uh peculiar penne mm-hmm. some, some uh, um frightening ridiculous rigatoni <laughs> ridiculous rigatoni exactly and some uh, uh creepy cavatappi <laughs> oh damn son which i guess is getting too close to creepy pasta which is what we're dancing around this whole time here but I like it. Anywho, exactly. That's what I got. They didn't have the alliteration. No, which the original really ought to. Goddamn it, it really should. I agree. But I guess it's it's originally supposed to be a kind of derivation of copy paste. In yeah, exactly. Oh, well. Anyway, whatever. Shall I jump right in? Jump right in. All right. Well, given that I had a few weeks of a break on the topic, and even the slightest. <laughs> opportunity to pursue it further <laughs> okay outside yeah okay i'm gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay i'm gonna go there uh yeah it's about to be sasquatch time sasquatch time so i have for you today a series of sasquatch tales that have to do with mount st helens mount st helens specifically Ooh, indeed so sasquatch is getting blown up <laughs> exactly <laughs> Launched into space <laughs> when Mount St. Helens erupted. Pyroclastic blast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Pyro Sasquatch stick. Shut up, Wyatt. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all this week, guys. <laughs> that was all the jokes I had for the rest of the day. So, the first account is from 1840. That's a long time ago, Wyatt. It's a bit of time ago. It is the Elkana Walker account. And, um,. So this is from Bigfoot Encounters, which is an excellent website if anyone out there is like me and enjoys these kinds of accounts. Oh, why? There's no one else out there like you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, it's a, It was a very well curated site for a time, but unfortunately the manager slash researcher uh, passed away a few years ago. So it's Aww. kind of like, you know, it got as far as it got now. It's kind yeah. of like a repository, but... This is one of those tales. So, if we are to believe the diary of Elkana Walker, pioneer American missionary in Washington State to the Spokane First Nations people, he wrote, quote, Bear with me if I trouble you with a little of their superstitions. They believe in a race of giants which inhabit a certain mountain off to the west of us. This mountain is covered with perpetual snow. They, as in the creatures, inhabit the snow peaks they hunt and do all their work at night they are men stealers Hmm. they come into the people's lodges at night when the people are asleep and take them and put them under their skins and to their place of abode without even waking their track is a foot and a half long they steal salmon from indian nets and eat them raw as the bears do if people are awake they always know when the men stealers are coming very near by the strong smell that is almost intolerable Hmm. It is not uncommon for them to come in the night and give three whistles, and then the stones will begin to hit their houses, unquote. It's stoning time. Get yeah. ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> give us our lunch money. You know money. the drill, guys. Right. Now we're going to throw rocks at you. So, Reverend Walker's established mission was located approximately 25 miles northwest of present-day Spokane, Washington. His diary entry of the snow peak to the west could be one of several peaks in the Cascade Range, such as Mount Baker, Mount Rainier, Mount Adams, or Mount St. Helens. It could also possibly have been uh, Mount Hood on the Oregon side of the Columbia River. Do we know? I'm curious. I mean, Go I'm on. sure you didn't have a chance to look it up. But I'm curious what all the uh, 
original names for these mountains are as far as first oh Nations true I yeah know, I don't there's, know. there's a movement to try and rename a lot of mountains to go back to their original names that's the right non-colonized uh, yeah names. right the imperial <laughs> but yeah i don't know unfortunately but researchers in general of the sasquatch phenomenon uh generally believe the missionary was referring to mount st helens which has always carried legends of sasquatches ape-like men and of course the 1924 story of fred beck in ape canyon did he have two turntables and a microphone where is that uh which i will now read oh i will also say that missionary walker penned a pre-civil war reference to mount st helens as a place where neither european frontiersmen nor first nations people ever frequented the latter of which quote assert it is inhabited by a race of beings of a different species who are cannibals and whom they hold in great dread unquote mm-hmm. now to get back to the fred beck tale the famous 1924 encounter uh fred beck and the terrible horrible no good very bad ape canyon <laughs> Uh, this is told by Fred Beck of Kelso, Washington, written September 27th, 1967 by his son, Ronald Beck. Fred Beck was one of a party of five miners purportedly attacked by a group of Sasquatches in 1924 hmm. uh, during one of the most famous such incidents in North America. Uh, the event has become a legend in the Northwest. Here, he tells the story in his own words after what was then about 43 years of silence. So I've just taken parts of the story. There's, he's basically got a small book that you can buy that contains all of his like account and speculation on the matter. He gets into kind of some trippy shit about like psychic premonitions and stuff, which mm. I'm not going to get into today. I'm just going to kind of give you just the facts, please, as it were. Alrighty. But anyway, here are his words, slightly edited by yours truly. Quote, It is my intention in this book not only to tell you about the historic encounter I had with these mysterious creatures, but also to reveal to the public what I believe they are. Truth often is stranger than fiction, but the strangeness comes from the clouds surrounding our minds, not from the mystery itself, which I wrote to myself, easy now, Fred. (laughs) Easy. Uh, This is not a large book, but may the largeness be conveyed by the picture I hope to paint of truth. (laughs) I thought you'd enjoy that. I did. Uh, much has been written about the, that day in 1924, and I feel it right that I express my views at last. So he's kind of like, I want to set the record straight. You guys have been talking shit about me. To avoid embarrassment to the relatives of the other four men involved in the 1924 incident, I have not directly mentioned their names. The name Hank is a pseudonym of one of the main characters in the incident. First of all, I wish to give an account of the attack and tell of the famous incident of July 24. Uh, 1924, when the quote-unquote hairy apes attacked our cabin. In 1924, I and four other miners, so that's his own little uh, grammatical, uh, were working our gold claim, the Vander White, which is among the coolest names I've heard for a gold claim, (laughs) I have to say. We're working the Vander White. Sounds like a spaceship. Um, It was two miles east of Mount St. Helens near a deep canyon, now named Ape Canyon, which was so named after um, an account of our incident reached the newspapers. By this point, we had been prospecting for six years in the Mount St. Helens and Lewis River areas in southwest Washington. Were they on vacation prospecting? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Callback. Yeah, for real. Uh, That's like episode something. Yep. We had, from time to time, come across large tracks by creek beds and springs. Hank, a great hunter and good woodsman... (laughs) wasn't as good a (laughs) woodsman as he was a hunter, was always a little apprehensive after seeing the tracks. The tracks were large, and we knew that no known animal could have made them. The largest measured 19 inches long. (laughs) It was in the middle of July, and we had received a good assay on our claim, and everyone was excited. One nice assay. I was going to say, tap that assay. (laughs) Uh, I remember I had a tooth that was aching. And I suggested to Hank that he should take me to town to see a dentist. But he was so enthused in the prospects of the gold mine, he barely took time to answer me. He replied that, quote, God or the devil, unquote, could not get him away from there. We had all come up in his Ford, and I had no way to get to town unless he took me. So when we went back to our cabin on the north side of the canyon, I had a nagging toothache and little appetite for our evening meal of beans and hotcakes. Hardy. Yeah. <laughs> it's some rugged. Hank, though apprehensive, was still determined. 
We had been hearing noises in the evening for about a week. We heard a shrill, peculiar whistling each evening. We would hear it coming from one ridge and then hear an answering whistling from another ridge. And then we started getting hit by rocks. Yes. Oh, actually, okay, okay. Uh, we also heard a sound which I could best describe as a booming, thumping sound, just like something that was hitting itself on its chest. Mm-hmm. Hank asked me to accompany him to the spring, about 100 yards from our cabin, to get some water, and suggested we take our rifles to be on the safe side. We walked to the spring, and then Hank yelled and raised his rifle, and at that instant, I saw it. It was a hairy creature, and it was about 100 yards away, on the other side of the little canyon, standing by a pine tree. It dodged behind the tree and poked its head out from one side, and at the same time, Hank shot. I could see the bark fly out from the tree from each of his three shots. Mm -hmm. Someone may say that that was quite a distance to see bark fly, but I saw it. (laughs) I like that he feels like insistent on being like, (laughs) no, I I saw that fucking shit. Uh, The creature I judged to have been about seven feet tall with blackish brown hair. It disappeared from our view for a short time, but then we saw it running fast and upright about 200 yards down the little canyon. I shot three times before it disappeared from view. Didn't see into bark fly that time, did you? No, yeah. <laughs> I didn't hit nothing. We took the water back to the cabin and explained the affair to the rest of the party. We all agreed, including Hank, to go home the next morning as it would be dark before we could get to the car. We agreed it would be unsound to be caught by darkness on the way out. Nightfall found us in our pine log cabin. We had built the cabin ourselves and had made it very sturdy. It stood for years afterward and was visited by many sightseers until a few years ago when it was burned to the ground. The circumstances of the fire I do not recall. It was the best cabin ever. People loved to visit it. It was the greatest cabin. It's gone now, but it was great when it's it was there. It's absolutely destroyed now, but <laughs> it was the sturdiest, most flammable cabin <laughs> ever. In the cabin, we had a long bunk bed in which two could sleep feet to feet. The rest of us, because... That's the weirdest setup for a bunk bed Any other way would be too exciting. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of us sleeping on pine boughs on the floor. At one end of the cabin, we had a fireplace fashioned out of rocks. There were no windows in the cabin, so darkness found all of us in the cabin more, uh, more calm now, and my tooth was better. Somehow, the excitement seemed to work a temporary cure on it. We were sitting around, puffing on pipes, and talking about the trip home the next day. Each of us settled down in his crude but welcome bed and soon fell asleep. About midnight, we were all awakened. Hank, who was sleeping on the floor, was yelling and kicking, but the noise that had awakened us was a tremendous thud against the cabin wall. Some of the chinking had been knocked loose from between the logs. This is basically just like the mortar, if you will. Yeah. Knocked loose from between the logs and had fell across Hank's chest. He had his rifle in his hand and was waving it back and forth as he kicked and yelled. Hank always slept with his gun nearby. I helped to get the chinking off him and he jumped to his feet. Then we heard a great commotion outside. It sounded like a great number of feet trampling and rattling over a pile of our unused shakes. These are cedar shakes that they undoubtedly used on the siding of their cabin. Makes Uh, sense. uh, We grabbed our guns. Hank squinted through the space left by the chinking. By actual count, we saw only three of the creatures together at one time, but it sounded like there were many more. This was the start of the famous attack, of which so much has been written in Washington and Oregon papers throughout the years. Most accounts tell of giant boulders being hurled against the cabin and say some even fell through the roof, but this was not quite the case. There were very few large rocks around in that area. It is true that many smaller ones were hurled at the cabin, but they did not break through through the roof, but hit with a bang and rolled off. Some did fall through the chimney uh, of the fireplace. Some accounts state that I was hit in the head by a rock and knocked unconscious. This is not true. (laughs) I kept my... I was hit in the head, though. (laughs) Um, The only time we shot our guns that night was when the creatures were attacking our cabin. When they would quiet down for a few minutes, we would quit shooting. I told the rest of the party that maybe if they saw that we were only shooting when they attacked, they might realize we were only defending ourselves. That's an interesting point. Yeah, right? It's kind of a crafty thought. We could have had clear shots at them through the opening left by the chinking had we chosen to shoot. We did shoot, however, when they climbed up on our roof. We shot around after round through the roof. We had to brace the huge log door with a long pole taken from the bunk bed. The creatures were pushing against it, and the whole door vibrated from the impact. We responded by firing many more rounds through the door. 
They pushed against the walls of the cabin as if trying to push the cabin over, but this was pretty much an impossibility, as previously stated. That like, cabin was <laughs> tough as fuck. <laughs> had they decided to set fire to the cabin, we would, we have, would been have been screwed. doomed. Yeah, <laughs> instantly immolated. <laughs> no, yeah. As previously stated, the cabin was a sturdy made building. Hank and I did most of the shooting. The rest of the party crowded to the far end of the cabin, guns in their hands. One had a pistol, which is still in my family's possession. The others clutched their rifles. They seemed stunned and incredulous. The attack continued the remainder of the night with only short intervals between. A most profound and frightening experience occurred when one of the creatures, being close to the cabin, reached an arm through the chinking space and seized one of our axes by the handle. A much written about incident, and a true one. Before the thing could pull the axe out, I swiftly turned the head of the axe upright so that it caught on the logs, and at the same time Hank shot, barely missing my hand. The creature let go and I pulled the handle back in and put the axe in a safe place. A humorous thing I will remember was Hank singing, If you leave us alone, we'll leave you alone, and we'll all go home in the morning. He did not mean <laughs> it to be humorous, for Hank was dead serious and sang under the impression that the quote-unquote mountain devils, as he called them, might understand and go away. The attack ended just before daylight. I just also like the thought of these like five scrappy, tough-ass like frontiersmen just being like... Yeah. You know, in a situation that would drive anyone crazy with fear and just be like, Hank, you crafty bastard with your songs. That's <laughs> you, hilarious. At the same time, also, to begin with, the guy, like, Hank deciding, oh, you know what I could do that would help this situation? I should sing to them. I'm going to sing to them. That'll get them to go away. Real serious, like, huh? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the attack ended just before daylight. As soon as we were sure it was light enough to see, we came cautiously out of the cabin. It was not long before I saw one of the ape-like creatures standing about 80 yards away near the edge of Ape Canyon. I shot three times and it toppled over the cliff, down into the gorge, some 400 feet below. Then Hank said that we should get out of there as soon as possible and not bother to pack our supplies or equipment out. After all, he said, it's better to lose them than our lives. We were all only too glad to agree. We brought out only that which we could get in our pack sacks. We left about $200 in supplies, powder, and drilling equipment behind. I tried to persuade everyone not to relate the happenings to anyone, and they agreed. But Hank soon let the cat out of the bag. Fucking Hank. That bastard. Uh, we made our way to Spirit Lake, and Hank went into the ranger station. He had told the ranger earlier about the tracks, and the ranger had replied, quote, Let me know if you uh, find it out what they are. Unquote. That was just what Hank did to the puzzlement of the stranger. When we were back home in Kelso, Washington, he told some of his friends, and somehow the story leaked out to the papers, and the great hairy ape hunt of 1924 was on. Local reporters interviewed us. They came from Portland and Seattle. Even a big game hunter from England came asking questions, and he had a large gun with him that must have been an elephant gun. Many people flocked to the Mount St. Helens area looking for the, quote, great hairy, the great hairy apes. Be <laughs> <laughs> very, very quiet. <laughs> For the great hairy apes, or mountain devils, uh, I myself went back with two reporters and a detective from Portland, Oregon. We found large tracks, and they photographed them. We did not see any of the ape men then, nor could we find the ones that we shot. So people were asking questions. Was it true, or was it just a wild tale? I can assure you it is true. Are they human, animal, or devils? I will answer that question in this book. That was a great ape hunt in 1924. In the last few years, more and more people have reported seeing them. There is an ape hunt being revived again, and another man has written a book on the subject and has formed a club whose purpose is to find evidence to prove what they already believe, that abominable snowmen of America do exist. Uh, he goes on from there, if anyone's interested, uh, but we can jump ahead 26 years to the events of 1950, hmm. the vanishing of Jim Carter as told by the Longview Washington Times in August of 1963. Ape Canyon, the legendary home of the hairy apes of Mount St. Helens, apparently swallowed an experienced mountaineer and expert skier in May 1950. Hmm. No trace of Jim Carter, 32, who disappeared from a 20-member climbing party from Seattle, was found, although teams of the Northwest's most proficient mountain rescue units combed the area for weeks. Quote, Carter's complete disappearance is an unsolved mystery to this day, unquote, declared Bob Lee, well-known Portland mountaineer who is a member of the exclusive Worldwide Alpine Club, 
a leader in the 1961 Himalayan expedition and advisor to the 1963 American expedition. Lee said he had never seen one of the monsters, but that there certainly was evidence, quote, that there was something strange on the high slopes of the mountain, unquote. He was convinced of this during the search for Carter, he said. Dr. Otto Trott, Lee Stark, and I finally came to the conclusion that the mountain devils got him, Lee said seriously. Lee, a member of the Seattle Mountain Research and Rescue Unit at the time, describes the hunt for Carter in Ape Canyon as, quote, the most eerie experience I have ever had, unquote. Ooh. He said that every time he got cut off from the rest of the searchers during the long hunt, he got the feeling that, quote, somebody was watching me, unquote. I could feel the hair on my neck standing up. It was eerie. I was unarmed except for my ice axe, and believe me, I never let go of that. It seems that the missing man Carter had climbed Mount St. Helens with a group from Seattle on a warm, clear Sunday. All the way down the mountain, he left the other climbers near a landmark called Dog's Head at the 8,000-foot level. Where someone put a severed dog's head as <laughs> a marker. <laughs> it's so grotesque, but God damn it, makes me feel good. <laughs> um, Carter told them he would ski around to the left and take a picture of the group as they skied down to the timberline. That was the last time that anyone saw Carter. The next morning, searchers found a discarded film box at the point where he had taken a picture. From here, Carter evidently took off down the mountain in a wild, deftifying dash, quote, taking chances that no skier of his caliber would take unless something was terribly wrong or he was being pursued, unquote, says Lee, Ooh. who was one of the first searchers to reach Carter's ski tracks. They ever play Ski Free on, like, Windows 95? It's the part when the Sasquatch runs out and yeah. grabs you. <laughs> Quote, he jumped over the two or three large crevices and evidently was going like the devil. When Carter's tracks reached the precipitous sides of Ape Canyon, the, re the searchers, I keep wanting to say researchers, the searchers were amazed to see that Carter had been in such a hurry that he went right down the steep canyon walls. But they did not find him at the bottom of the canyon as they expected. Quote, we combed the canyon, one end to the other, for five days. Sometimes there were as many as 75 persons in the search party, but no sign of Carter or his equipment was found, unquote, says Lee. After two weeks, the search was called off. Lee, who has lived in the Northwest most of his life, recalls there are about 25 different reports of people attacked by ape-like men in the St. Helens and Cascade areas over a 20-year period. So I like those three together because they kind of mm. have a chronology and very consistent details and it sort of moves from what feels like a legend to a remembered first-person account into this kind of just now it's like a regular thing as people have moved yeah. into the area or at least Western society with its news media has, you know, permeated the region. We're now getting this kind of evolution of this same sort of story of a man-stealing creature, a, a thing out there that might sometimes attack yeah. in some way. And um, I do like that the the progression of of behaviors between the different stories all seem totally logical within the same mythology, if you want to call it that. Of, sure. Of yeah, this yeah. particular group of potential ape men things. Right. Right. And I think this this set of stories is a little more. It's on the more fanciful side for me. Yeah. The more dramatic the encounters are, the more the more difficult they are to believe. As far as you know, you know, prolonged attack on a cabin, all this stuff happening, and then right. the idea of uh, oh, I shot one, I fell off a cliff, and then we all searched later on, we couldn't find anything, and right. a couple decades later, oh, this guy got stolen away by one of them. Like it's a little that, more, it's a little bit more dramatic, but exactly. Um, go on though, I don't mean to. They do seem at least tonally similar as far as there's a logical progression between them, where it seems like the stories do match the theme of specific Sasquatch encounters in this particular area. Right, like they, exactly. The behaviors sound consistent, which is interesting for Sasquatch stories where they be to be made up. You wouldn't expect people to do so much research as to try and match prior stories like right. that. So that's, that's kind of cool. The other cool thing for me as well is this collectively spans over 100 years mm -hmm. of time. And to have such a consistent kind of set of details yeah. be ascribed to, let's call it a local population of mm -hmm. putative beings, you know, it's just kind of fun. So anyway. My counter to that would be the idea that the initial like background story for it and stuff in the 18, was it 1840? 1840, yeah. 1840 version was looking at the First Nations people there and their stories right. of these giants who lived there. Right. And talking about the, the whistling and the stone throwing and stuff. 
and then having that same kind of thing happen. So it's kind of so there's our favorite issue priming going on right, there. It's true. But then also the idea that if those First Nations folks still live there down the road, they could be priming future storytellers with the same information. That's true. So they could have their own separate encounters of some sort or some just some weird thing happened to them in the woods and having had the exact same stories told to them without having heard about the prior Westerners accounts accounts, right. they could have you know, the same source material fed to them and then get primed in the same way. Sort of the boogeyman tale. Yes. Yeah. But coming from the exact same source so that they have the right. same kind of details already in mind going into it, which is a possibility. I don't know. Yeah. No, that's so true. But anyway, just some fun tales, I suppose. Some very fun anything. tales. I enjoyed those. So, uh, yeah. That's what if I you are in today. the woods in the Pacific Northwest and you think you're being attacked by a Sasquatch, Try singing to him. You never Trusting know. Try singing to him. Also, please just take out your camera yes. or your camera phone, goddammit. But don't go up ahead to take a photo of your friends because you may never come back. Exactly. They will abduct you in that case and probably eat your bones. But <laughs> they'll eat your bones first and then they'll eat your brain. <laughs> it's an excruciating process. Yeah, it's horrifying. But yeah. yeah, there's some there's some stories from the woods for you if Indeed. you're going uh, hiking or camping this summer. Keep yeah. that in mind. Keep that in mind, exactly. We'll probably return to some forest stories down the road, too. We've been wanting to do those for a while. Our initial thought was to try a while back to do some haunted forest stories. Mm, so elusive. In fact, it's very hard to find stories of haunted forests that aren't just mm-hmm. complete nonsense. Garbage, yeah. It's yeah, there's so many, especially so many top ten lists of like, oh, most haunted forests in the world. <laughs> oh. <laughs> And it's just, yeah, right. bad. So when we one day find good stories about haunted forests... Uh, you'll be the first to hear. Yes. <laughs> Until that time, uh, we'll... You'll I mean, just have to deal with this shit. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll catch you again next week with another episode about something different. Indeed. And uh, yeah, we look forward to seeing you then. Thanks so, so much for listening. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.